This is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire enlightened living. You're listening now to the Honest to God series with Anne Gail Rose and Ahanu. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to our show today on a beautiful, chilly San Diego morning, but we don't mind because this is like having fall all winter long, Ahanu, just like on the East Coast when you never get enough of the season of fall. Here it is. And it's like every day feels like fall. And I love it. I absolutely love it. How about you? Fall. My God. <laughs> you know, when I came to the United States first, I had great fun with that that word, that term, fall, because to us it was always autumn. And uh, I couldn't figure out what the idea of fall was. You know, are we falling? I mean, we're falling in enough, <laughs> enough areas in our lives. <laughs> And especially in terms of our subject today, when we talk about Jesus Christ, you know, and supposedly how we're all fallen from the very beginning. You know, we're born with this this sin, you know, we're impure somehow. And for us to believe that stuff is really, really for us to be believing in the fall. So I never use that term fall. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm in the United States. I've adopted the, the culture and the people and the way of life and all of that. But I will not use the fall. It, this is not the fall. This is, this is the autumn. And in fact, we're moving into, after today, after the winter solstice, this is the shortest day of the year. We're moving into new light, new sunshine. And this is the way the people who believed in earth energies and who lived close to the earth, this is what they understood was that there are cycles. And we're now moving into a wonderful, glorious time period. And I am so looking forward to that. But in the meantime, right here, right now, this autumn weather is magic. It is magic. And I think... I think Finally, California has grown on us, Ahano, because, you know, you just can't beat the weather and the sunshiny days. Anyway, we have a wonderful guest returning today, Leslie Mitchell-Clark. She's been on a couple other times with us, and she lives in Canada, and um, it focuses on a lot of UFO contact. In fact, she has her own radio show called Contact, in which she discusses a wide variety of topics and she's a wealth of information, and we can't wait to bring her on in a few minutes. Well, we've had some amazing experiences these last few days. First of all, <laughs> Angel Rose was on Coast to Coast Radio with George Nuri on Monday night, and we were absolutely swamped with visitors to our website. We were swamped with readings and bookings and people wanting our material, our MP3 downloads and all of that. And that's all fantastic. But, you know, such was the volume of of visitor traffic that we ended up crashing. The show crashed our, our web server maybe, I don't know, 12 or 15 times. And, I mean, that sounds really wonderful on one level it's great you know it means wow business is fantastic and people are seeking you out and you're doing a great job but on the other side we weren't able to serve them we weren't able to give them what they wanted and we apologize hugely for that but since then what's interesting really about this is to look at this from the bigger picture we ended up moving to a new server 
And believe it or not, the server people called our new server. They called it Dedicated 2222. Now, we are great believers in the whole twin flame concept, which incorporates the 1111s. And this was a huge coincidence that they would call the server 2222, because as you move through those master numbers, as Angel Rose will tell us all about, it's about growing in spiritual awareness it's growing in in stature it's becoming more robust and this is what we did we doubled the resources on our server we increased our all the the technical resources there so as to provide a more robust and stronger service and that's i think what's needed too by way of a lesson to all of us to, as we move forward into this great time of change and as we move forward from this shortest day of the year into the new year that we become stronger inside, that we become better people, that we love better, and not to look at the negative side of things. And it's very easy to do. You know, we, in, in fact, even this morning, we had this issue with our host from that hosts the radio shows, Blog Talk Radio, where the they changed the time zone on us. And so our show supposedly already aired three hours ago. <laughs> But in fact, we're Pacific time. <laughs> yeah, you've already done this. This is my second show. <laughs> you've done this three hours ago in your sleep. I know. Isn't it the funniest thing? But as I say, we could go into negativity. We could go into victimhood. We could go into all of that. But no, we look on it as this is an absolutely wonderful time of great progress, of great awareness. And we want to grasp that with both hands and say, welcome aboard. And we're incorporating a new tagline, actually, in all of what we do as we move into the new year. And that is, come with us to a higher place. Well, it's a good one, Ahano. And I think certainly the energies of the universe do challenge us to stay positive. Um, if, in fact, you know, I was doing uh, a counseling session for someone yesterday and she was asking me, uh, how does she stay positive about the future with all the the stuff that's going on today with the loss of rights and the movements and the silly, insane things? And uh, it's a good question. And certainly I've gone through periods of that myself where I've gotten very depressed about what the future looks like. But as we hear from Source on our Sunday mornings, it is always about making that choice, and choice seems to be such a powerful thing for us today when Ahan was talking about becoming aware and how many things can go on during your day really just to stress you out or make you feel uh, hopeless or defeated. It is important to choose because, uh, well, I don't know if I told this story before, but you know we live in San Diego, so there's a wonderful self-realization fellowship uh, place here down in Encinitas and they have the most beautiful gardens you walk up a little hill and you know there's all these little alcoves with benches where you could sit so one morning Ahano and I got up uh, early and we decided we were going to treat ourselves to breakfast at St. Germain Cafe and then we walked over to the the self-realization fellowship and Ahano had his art pad and I just brought a blanket. So we walk up on top of this cliff overlooking the ocean. And Yogananda, you know, I started communicating with Yogananda. And, you know, he said to me, you have to make a joyful noise. And that if you want 
abundance and prosperity and health, you have to be in the joyful noise. And that that's a decision. And he was huge smile on his face. But I could feel that frequency up there. It was so different. And it was incredibly, incredibly joyful. And in fact, he was guiding me because I had asked a question about health. He was guiding me that when you go into a grocery store and you're going to buy your food, that you make the intention that you're only going to be attracted to happy food. And I thought that was so interesting because he didn't say healthy food. He said happy food. And of course, what that means is we have to take our logical mind out of the picture when we go in the shop and we just allow our inner intuition take us to the happy food. And, you know, he even commented to me and said, you know, a healthy food could be or a happy food could be a piece of meat one day or it could be eating uh, edible flowers another day. So he's making the point, though, about being in this other frequency and staying there and that it is a decision. It's a constant decision. And certainly whenever we tune into source and we check on the world, we do see that there is a momentum building, a very positive momentum because of the people, because of the people changing and waking up. All right, that's enough of my lecture, Hannah, because we have a wonderful guest to bring on our show today. She's not here yet, he's saying. Is that what you're saying? Yeah? That's right, because of that three-hour uh, technical snafu that I mentioned about this morning, it's... Uh, Looks like we have a three-hour time difference in our synchronization with Canada. But however, no worries. We are motoring on, as always. And we will indeed talk ourselves about Jesus Christ, because we've got a lot to say about Jesus. So, Angel Rose, you go into the Akashic Records and you talk about Jesus all the time. In fact, some of the many things that you say in terms of the one-line statements putting them out on World of Empowerment and on angelrose.com is that Jesus never intended to be adored or worshipped. I did say that, didn't I? That was a long time ago, Ahanu. Yes, he he has made it clear that his message really uh, was freedom. You know, it was love and freedom, bring people love and freedom. And uh, he want, would love us to consider him a uh, an elder brother and not somebody to be worshipped. That that whole hierarchical idea is just, um, you know, it's just old. It's just not really applicable. And, uh, you know, I think that he would say that source deserves the awe. And, you know, Jesus deserves respect for being possibly more awake or a mission, a missionary who came here. But, Hanno, I think we first need to discuss that there are rumors floating around out there that say that Jesus never really physically existed. So I think we need to talk about that because many people obviously do believe he exists. Uh, when I've gone in the records, I've certainly talked to a being that felt very much like he was here. So some of it comes from the work of Santos Bonacci and others. He's, Santos Bonacci is an Australian who has been around for a while and very, very interesting work because he's he, he has something called astrotheology where he merges astrology and theology. 
And he's gone so far as to say that the Bible is really a story of our movement through the Zodiac. Now, this also isn't really new because years ago, I mean, many, many years ago, I remember watching a video called The Naked Truth. The Naked Truth was all about the fact that at 18 other times in history, before Jesus came along, they had there were other reports through history of the same story. In other words, in other religions, at other time periods before Jesus, having stories of an avatar coming, uh, being born of a virgin, the mother's names in those stories was always some derivative of Mary. The avatar always went through a crucifixion and a resurrection and an ascension. And I remember, I think I was back in my 30s when I watched that, and I was really upset. I was upset and confused because I was raised Catholic, even though by the time I was 30, I wasn't a practicing Catholic anymore. But still, It upset my whole belief system. And this can be, you know, when you have your your apple cart upset like that, depending on how much of your own personal identity is connected to your faith and your religion, it can be quite devastating if somebody comes along and all of a sudden shows you that, hey, this story may not be true. Because, look, 18 other times in history, before Jesus' story was the same story through other religions. So what's really going on? Like I say, now then we discover Santos Bonacci, who has done a lot of research into a lot of different old texts and discovered, along with other people, that the whole Bible story, the apostles, the uh, time periods, the events all had to do with various stories of us going through the zodiacal signs and the cycles. Now, and so this is why he's come to the conclusion that Jesus uh, doesn't exist, didn't really exist as a physical person. But I do go to another thing where I say, well, if the macrocosm is the microcosm, why couldn't he have existed? You know, why couldn't he be a symbolic physical representation of that movement through the Zodiac? And here's why I think that. Because I personally have had experiences of Jesus coming to me at different times. There are stories all around the world of people who have appearances of Jesus, where Jesus comes to them. There are indigo children, crystal and rainbow kids, who come in talking about God and Jesus. There was a woman I just did a reading for yesterday who had not been spiritual at all. And when she was, I think she said 13 or 15, had an experience of Jesus coming to her, which she said changed her whole life. You have to ask yourself, Ahanu, what's going on in those types of experiences? Well, you know, I'm a great believer that we do create a lot of this stuff, let's call it, for want of a better word, ourselves. 
And I also do believe, and I'm careful now in in trying to explain that I'm I'm not going into a victim place when I, for the sake of explanation, polarize the use these words to polarize things. So in other words, let me say the negative agenda uses us to create outcomes. Now I don't believe that on a high level, but on a three D level, that's what goes on. So. Where Jesus comes into this is, I do believe that such is the power of the various religious movements and such is the power of belief that we have actually manifested an outcome of guilt and fear around religions that actually impersonates the figure of Jesus. Like, I don't believe, for example, that Jesus was, was a punishing son of God. Do you know, I, I just don't believe, I believe we're all sons of God. And, and, and I don't think that there was, he was more enlightened than most. And he had a message of love to bring, not one of punishment or of guilt. And so I believe that the, his message was distorted in much the same way as most messages get distorted for the purpose of some hidden agenda. And that's what I think has gone gone on in our world. So we have to analyze the Jesus deep at a deeper level, rather than see him as this bearded guy that walked around in sandals and was was punished and hung on a cross. And this is what we see in our schools. We see this cross symbol of a man being punished and children grow up with this image of blood pouring out of this guy who's hanging on a cross, I think it's absolutely atrocious to implant that kind of a belief around a spiritual teacher. I think it's absolutely insane, actually. And uh, the day will have to come when we stop perpetuating this kind of punishment, this kind of distortion of a, of a great spiritual teacher. It's just, it's, it's insanity to teach this to children that somebody was stabbed through the right side or the left side, I can't remember which, but blood is pouring out anyway, and there's nails going through his legs and his hands. There's people who will actually debate whether that actually took place or not, or whether Jesus was actually hung on a cross, or whether it was a fall guy hung instead of him and Jesus escaped to France and all of that. There's huge stories and conspiracy theories around it and I don't think anybody really knows but what I do know is that the various councils of the church various churches indeed but mostly the Catholic Church have actually taken these stories and manipulated them to suit their own agenda I, I've been a victim of this and, and again I use that word just purely to polarize the thinking only just to get across the point I don't feel victimized by it but just by way of explanation when I was growing up as a child in Holy Catholic Ireland this was the teaching that Jesus died for us Jesus died now imagine having somebody die what on earth would any spiritual teacher go dying for somebody else for that's not the way to salvation. It's that's insanity, and the more we, the more we get into this, the more I realize how duped we have been by all these these teachings. And Angel Rose talks rightly so about the research that was done with all the different cultures of the world having a Jesus figure, having a Mother Mary figure in their cultures and in their folklore and in their mythology. And even mythology has shown to be true, but we like to 
the Western world likes to put that those stories into a place of well that they're only stories they're from so far back we can't validate them we can't verify them but nonetheless they hold so much truth for us that it's time we actually took them very very seriously and took them out of the realm of mythology but this is a very very serious situation really and when I spoke about how the negative agenda uses us to manifest Fear is an absolutely amazing thing. We spoke a couple of weeks ago, and I think it was on one of our radio shows, about how Nazi, the Nazis in Germany actually did control thousands and thousands, millions of people with very small resources. In fact, there are various pictures that you can see if you do a little bit of research where thousands of people were herded into gas chambers by just two or three soldiers holding little pistols. Such was their level of fear that if if five or six or ten of them just rushed the soldiers, they'd have been free. But they were unable to do that. And this is what is pervasive in our society today. And this is what the story of Jesus is really all about, is that every one of us is incredibly powerful. Every one of us is amazing. Every one of us has incredible abilities. But it's necessary for the control of society to not let us know how powerful we are, to keep us in guilt and tell us we were born with original sin, we are impure, we are not eligible, we don't deserve, we are wrongdoers, and you must capitulate and you must work. And that's just the way our society is. And I say no. I say no now. I've said no in the past. I say no into the future. It's time for us to step into our power. And this is why we have our website called World of Empowerment. We it's time for us to move into the world of empowerment. I'm sorry, I'm going to get off my, my podium now. <laughs> and Gail Rose says many times that I actually spent a lifetime <laughs> as a preacher. And he's a minister now, <laughs> I must say. There you go. All right. There's another part of this, though, that I think we do need to talk to our listeners about. And um, So let's talk first about this movement through the Zodiac and in being able to read the Bible at a symbolic level. Now, I have not done that because it takes years and years of research like Santos Badachi has done. But there is some truth to it. In fact, even when I did watch that video many years ago called The Naked Truth, it was about exactly that, our movement through cycles through the universe and how we go through these various constellations on a journey as the planet moves through the years and we go through different stages and we've heard that we're going from, you know, the age of Pisces to the age of Aquarius right now that we're in this movement. And with each movement through the different constellations and astrology figures, there's different energy that the planet goes through. And that can make sense to me because ultimately... Whether Jesus lived physically or not, even though I, I personally do think there was a person named Jesus who was here, a very loving teacher, it's just my own feeling, because the other part of this is people do remember knowing him. They remember um, being in that time period. I've done lots of readings for people, and I've met people who were around in that time period and did know him. So, in my mind, I still think, why wouldn't, um, you know, our physical world is a reflection of things that are going on 
in the cosmos and also reflections of our consciousness. So why couldn't an avatar be born here again to reflect that movement through the zodiac? And not only that, there's a deeper thing here because if we take this movement through the zodiac and we actually consider it a mystical journey for ourselves, an inner mystical journey, we can see that these cycles up through the zodiac from Aries all the way out. I don't know astrology really well myself, but also the major arcana in the tarot. They're similar in the sense that the major arcana in the tarot is a inward journey of ascension. And this is ultimately what these cycles are about. You know, they're, you know, Santos has always said that as we cycle around through these different ages, each time we come back to the beginning point, we are at a little bit of a higher level on the spiral. And he believes there's this ascension spiral that goes on. And, you know, we we evolve around these cycles and we end up once again at, at the beginning place. But the beginning place is now at a bit of a higher frequency. But I can tell you that many years ago when I meditated quite frequently, I was on a mystical journey. I took a mystical journey. I was taught by my teachers. They took me up through many planetary systems and levels of reality that were out there. And I found that they even took me through a whole series of symbols. And those symbols, as it turned out, were some of them were related to the sacraments of the Catholic Church. And I'm only bringing this up because it could be that every single religion has its esoteric counterpart. In other words, I think listening to you, Ahanu, and listening to your passionate complaint about the way religions use things and turn them against us so that we end up with no power. The other side of it is that there is a whole inner side to religions in their symbology. But if you really look at it and you take it down, all of it are archetypal things. Like, for example, in the Catholic Church, the sacraments are really a mystical journey up to ascension. If you know how to use them properly. But anyway, I was taken on these journeys where I was really shown the mystical symbolism through the sacraments. So after that, I looked at all the sacraments quite differently. I wasn't caught up anymore in the external things that the church teaches. It was an inward journey. And now, here's here's the other thing. I believe that the whole idea of Jesus was really somebody who was here to show us that this ascension path is real, that we all go through. We do go through a crucifixion process in our lives. But that crucifixion process would be similar to the hangman card in the tarot deck where your perception has to be completely reversed in time and space. Okay, that the mystical interpretation of crucifixion isn't that you suffer, but it is that you have to reverse completely your perception from the ego-based version of reality to an inward base, or you have to go from the external world to the internal world.
All right. So again, you know, you can use the major cards of the tarot, but what all these really are is they're all stepping stones along the way. In other words, this is the ascent up the ladder. This is people too who, you know, this is what your chakra system is really. We had a topic on the chakras probably a month ago. It was very powerful because, you know, we went in and we said to Source, uh, what is Source's definition of the chakras? And Source came back and told us it was the path of courage. And it went on to explain why that this journey through your chakras is your spiraling up to your your higher centers in your brain, which lead you to enlightenment. And that stage of enlightenment, once it hits the brain, does have the capability to completely reverse the death process in the human body. It it allows regeneration and healing. And that's only one level. But what what happens in that process is you do go from thinking that your external reality is real and you realize that only your internal reality is real. Like I say, if you really know how to read these things and go through this spiritual journey, you know, in, in the tarot, you know, you start out with the fool in the major cards, which is number zero. On the initiate level, the fool is just beginning his path and he's immature and he's he's falling over himself and he's taking risks and he's he doesn't have discernment. But you go from that all the way up to becoming conscious and discovering the subconscious and then you go to the earth herself and you take yourself up through this journey and it's all an inward process of refinement in fact what happens along the way is you you start to develop virtues and what you see then is that the challenges you're presented with in life are actually test to have victories and those victories depending on what you choose in any given situation You either digress yourself or you progress yourself. So it isn't that you, on a spiritual path, you never encounter any difficulties or challenges. And I think this is a big mistake people have, is they think that if they're on the path and they're doing it right, that they're never going to encounter any sort of trials or challenges. And that's not the case. In fact, you know, you do get confronted with many different things. Now, they may lessen because you've matured, but they're always about what are you going to do with the situation? How are you going to react? You have two choices. You can either react in such a way where you go into the victim place, as you mentioned earlier, and you delay yourself and you don't really learn anything from having that perspective, or you transform things uh, into love and you you humbly ask, you know, what am I learning in this? You know, what is this about for me? And that is actually how you how we all grow and become uh, more more purified as people. And certainly we're we're in that now. You know, we're in a, pu- a huge planetary purification process. It's huge because the potential for us to heal and and have our DNA catalyzed in this time period because of the cosmic forces is huge. So it all, it all ties together. And certainly I think the main message of Jesus is this incredibly loving presence. You know, we talk about moving into our Christed selves, but what does that really mean? You know, it, it's, 
it means that we actually become, you know, a force of love ourselves. Jesus reportedly was somebody who performed miracles. And, you know, what is a miracle? And there's a whole chapter in it in my new book coming out, The Nature of Reality. But essentially, it really is about transforming things strictly through the power of divine love. And, you know, so this is this is important. And that's, in my opinion, what Christ came here. So we, whether he was actually physically here or whether he was crucified or not, isn't as much the case as what those things symbolize. And crucifixion symbolizes uh, sacrificing, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but sacrificing our identification with the external ego world and shifting it to our internal world. Now, speaking about shifting, (laughs) we've had to do some shifting here, and we have twisted the technology so as to get hold of our special guest today, Leslie Mitchell-Clark. So let me just do a little introduction of her. We're going to go to a very quick studio break then, and then we'll bring her right on. So we promised you the life of Jesus, the traditional story versus the more esoteric story. And we want to talk about the real story, the drama of Jesus' life, Mary Magdalene, Mother Mary, Uh, whether Jesus was from the stars or not, was he even real at all? And we'll talk a little bit about the Egyptian mystery schools. Now, Leslie Mitchell-Clark, we had her on before, I think it was sometime around the beginning of June last, and we had great discussions about hypnosis and so on. She's actually a hypnotist, and she's a graduate of the Ontario Hypnosis Centre, a member of the National Guild of Hypnotists with a special certification in past life regression. Leslie and her hypnosis clinic called Lightwork Hypnosis are also focused on the use of hypnosis for the positive improvement of all issues pertaining to artists of all disciplines, like actors, dancers, visual artists, writers, musicians, vocalists, and all of that and the unique demands that they deal with in their daily lives and careers. And that's, of course, because she comes from a long line of musicians and a great musical family in Canada. She resides in Toronto and has continued to work with artists locally and throughout the United States, Japan and Europe. And she has recently appeared in commercials for McDonald's, for Miller Lite and Bounce. She also hosts her own radio show in Canada called Contact and that explores the E.T. presence and other spiritual and metaphysical topics. She has been married for 20 years to the world-renowned, award-winning Canadian jazz drummer and member of the Order of Canada, Terry Clark, and they have two teenage sons, Christopher and Kyle. We're going to run to this very, very quick break, and the moment we come back, we're going to bring on the great friend of ours, Leslie Mitchell Clark. This is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire enlightened living. You're listening now to the Honest to God series with Anne Gail Rose and Ahanu. Well, hi, Leslie. Are you there with us today? Right here, Anne Gail. 
know, and of course I do apologize for all of these technical snafus. I, I'm not sure what's going on with the blog talk radio, but you can't stop Irish people when they're trying to talk. <laughs> How right you are about that. We have got a gift of the gab, all right. Maybe not so much in the area of technology, but boy, we'll twist it and manipulate it and, and, and work it so that it works in our service. You better believe it. If there were smoke signals or talking drums, we'd be using those. <laughs> so, Leslie, tell us what it's like over there in Canada. Are you freezing or what? Well, we're having, you know, there... We're having some real roller coaster type weather, which is very atypical, which may in fact speak to certain uh, planetary changes going on, which may, of course, be very natural. So we're now having, we had tons of snow, and now we're having freezing rain, which is, of course, the most heinous and dangerous of, uh, of all of the weather things. Yes. <laughs> Dear me. All right, now you wanted to discuss today our beloved Jesus, which we've been focusing on before we found you and, and got you connected today. So can you talk to us about where you would like to start with this? Well, I think um, probably I would um, I would most like to really affirm what I heard you speaking about earlier, that I think it's almost you know, irrelevant, the mechanical details of the life of Jesus, which are hopelessly infused with um, uh, mythology and, um, you know, excluded information. So it's it's really very, very difficult to us, for us, to get down to the nuts and bolts of, of, of the life of Jesus. But whether or not he was physicalized, whether or not he was, uh, he, he died on the cross, um what the important thing to remember is that he was one of the evolved, enlightened beings of love that was able to, to influence our thoughts and our behavior and our hearts, uh, not unlike uh, the Buddha or, um, or Muhammad or Zoroaster or, or, or many, many other, uh, if you care to use the word, avatars who have been able to descend to the third density and, and try to try to kickstart us in, in a new direction. But I think we should probably start when talking about Christmas, particularly and the life of Jesus, with some of the some of the anomalies that uh, or, or just gross inaccuracies that that, that we have embraced. Uh, and one of those being that it's it's very likely that Jesus was not even born uh, in Bethlehem. Uh, as you may remember from the you know the classic uh, Bible story, uh, Jesus's father, Joseph, uh, had to show up for the Roman census and tax-paying event. And according to the uh, according to the Jesus story, which has been twisted to fit the original Hebrew messianic legend, uh, he had to be born in Bethlehem. Well, the reason behind this is the the um, the literal uh, biblical scholars claim that um, Joseph and all Jews were required to journey to the home of their father and then become part of the census and pay the taxes. Well, there's absolutely no evidence of this. Uh, in fact, you know, the Romans were good at a lot of things, and one of the big things they were good at was census-taking and taxes. And we have no historical evidence, and there's a lot of written evidence from the ancient Romans. We have no historical evidence that anyone was required to journey 
to the home of their father to be included in any kind of census taking. So we can assume then that, uh, that Jesus was born in Nazareth, uh, where he grew up, where, where Mary and Joseph lived. And so that would be, you know, one of the great inaccuracies. Now, we also don't know um, exactly when Jesus was born, because, again, due to the information we have with the Roman census takers, there's about a four-year discrepancy uh, as to, you know, the, the, the year even of his birth. And um, another kind of interesting thing, I think, is that um, in, the, in the Bible, in the Bible that we use today, uh, we have this idea that, uh, that Jesus was from a poverty-stricken kind of, you know, agrarian situation where his father was a carpenter. Well, the, the ancient Hebrew word for what Joseph did is tecton. And what a tecton is would be more like a, a civil engineer. So in other words, Joseph would have been contracted by the Romans to do big construction jobs of the day, aqueducts, roads, all that kind of thing. So in fact, you know, Jesus was certainly raised in uh, what we would consider today an upper, upper middle class home. So that would be another kind of um, uh, oddity there. And um, certainly there is a lot of um, misunderstanding about the virgin birth. Now, as, as you both know, you know, I was raised in the Holy Catholic Church where, where the virginity of, of Mary was a, a central tenet. But certainly we can see that that necessity for virginity to birth the Messiah is really something that comes to us from far earlier. Uh, as you may recall, uh, Isis you know, gave birth to Horus as a virgin. So this is an old, old, old ancient idea. It is, and I think I came upon the realization at one point that that whole immaculate conception is really about us being conceived of pure thought. In other words, I think it actually points to the original innocence of everyone, not the not the guilt and sin of everyone. Whether Mary was a virgin or not, and, you know, when I've looked into the records... Um, I don't see that she was personally, okay? But like you say, I think these things matter in the sense that, you know, I know when I was waking up and, you know, we mentioned, you mentioned in the beginning that in a way you really can't prove the history of Jesus because um, there were so many distorted things that happened with those texts and it doesn't look like Jesus left his own record, at least at this point. So... I came to a place where I realized that there was no way that I could know what really happened. And the day that I realized that, I'm telling you, it, it was a mind blower for me. All of a sudden I thought, well, here I am 30 years old. I've been spending my whole life with the teaching that I needed to be like this man. You know, that was the goal. The goal was to be like Jesus. And I had this realization that said, well, who would you be? if you weren't trying to model yourself after this, this other person. And I realized that I didn't know, you know, I wasn't in touch with my own inner self enough to say, well, who is, who is Angel Rose here? Who is she really? What, what would she be like? 
I wasn't even in touch with my own desires, my own abilities, my own gifts, because I was so focused on trying to be like this avatar. And I think when all of this information is coming out now, because as we know, we're living in the, the time of truth being exposed all over the place, that these things are important to discuss because people are at so many different levels of their awakening process. And certainly to come to these realizations of, of what we're actually doing as individuals in terms of going up the ascension ladder and attaining greater virtues and becoming God men is really what the goal seems to be from what I gather going from that to believing that we've been these sinners who have to repent and have to earn every little morsel of love and reward that we could possibly receive in our lives that it really does assault the idea of our basic goodness and I know for myself too I also, in my awakening, came to a place where I said, well, gee, what what would it be if I realized, I could fully realize that I'm good, that I, I'm actually good, I'm, I'm based in goodness and not sin. And that took on a whole completely, completely different reality system for me. So can you comment on that, what you think about that? <laughs> Indeed, um, I, I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. Um, this idea of sin and penance, and particularly original sin, is all part of the manipulation and uh, of uh, and the imbalance of the sacred feminine and the um, uh, the authority of of the Holy Catholic Church. Uh, there is uh, this idea of original sin, uh, in my in my opinion. Is, is based on a much earlier time. It had to do with, um, with the, the interaction, rather the interbreeding between the Anunnaki and the humanoid beings that they were developing, which was one of their cardinal rules. Uh, the Anunnaki was okay to experiment and to upgrade to create a servant class but to have interaction and provide the balance of their own sacred DNA was was raw against their moral ethical code, if you will. So that's really original sin. Uh, it has nothing to do with women. I think the serpent is simply representative of DNA. Uh, we see that all through um, a symbology. Uh, the, the caduceus, you know, the medical symbol, certainly has Moses's staff with a uh, with DNA wrapped around it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if we really if we really just look, you know, it's it's all there. I think an important thing to remember about about uh, what we do know about the life of Jesus and also the other prophets is their lives were partnerships. There is no doubt in my mind that Jesus' wife and partner and um, a partner in illumination uh, was Mary of Magdalene. I have, I have no doubt about that. We, we're pretty much sure that she supported his ministry with her vast uh, fishing fleet that she owned. Um, Mary of Magdalene was, in fact, the sister of Lazarus, Jesus' boy, boyhood friend. And so that, again, explains how, you know, how Jesus most probably was just able to cure some type of terrible illness that was going on there. I don't believe that, um, uh, that it was a raising from the dead. But again, the, 
the Hebraic messianic miracles of the Messiah and, and life points of the Messiah had to be squeezed into Jesus's life if he was going to be accepted as that Messiah. Was he complicit in that? Did, uh, did Jesus of Nazareth accept that messianic political kind of position when he rode into um, when he rode in on the um, on the donkey on Palm Sunday that was something that had to happen according to messianic uh, profiteer profiting I'm profiting <laughs> that's a Freudian let me stop you there for a second Leslie and ask you a quick question because you've, you've made a huge jump in time period from the time of the Anunnaki to the time of Jesus and right up to now and uh, what, I'd, what I'd love to know by just by way of framing this in context for my own understanding and that of our listeners when you do uh, hypnotic regression with your clients do any of them ever are any of them ever able to go back far enough to the time of the Anunnaki? I can understand somebody saying, oh yeah, I lived at the time of Jesus and I lived, you know, a, a, a thousand years ago, two thousand. Do they ever go back far enough to be able to verify that there is this agenda going on? There is this elite power and control agenda. There is this agenda to coerce and manipulate history and information and knowledge about Jesus. I have indeed um, uh, participated in regressions where people were, were uh, scribes and other figures in, in early Sumeria, where they interacted freely with uh, the so-called gods, who were, you know, simply taller. Uh, but yes, yes, in answer to your question, and even Ohanu, uh, some individuals have gone back to um, to a period of time where they were not physicalized, where they were attached to the earth or Gaia, but were not in, had not yet assumed a physical form. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're talking, you know, at the, at the, at the dawn of creation, if you will, right. uh, before, before as well. our earth yeah. as, was a, was a livable, sustainable, uh, third density vehicle. I've seen that as well, you know, that originally we were more more spirit than we were flesh, but we were here. So I have seen that as well in the Akashic Records. Well, I, that that is really, really interesting. And so can you address, Leslie, because, you know, for people who are uh, Christian-oriented, you know, they, they do believe Jesus died on the cross. And so... Could you give us your opinion about that and also those missing years that are often spoke about between when he was a teenager up into his 33rd year? Indeed. And so let's uh, let's discuss that for a bit, the so-called missing years. Now, there is there is an abundance of scholarly evidence and um, uh, Many of it, much of it has been examined by a wonderful um, author named S.W. Murdoch, who's done a lot of research along these lines. Most probably, um, the young, the young Jesus was uh, taken on a uh, very involved trip by his uncle, who was St. Joseph of Arimathea. Now, that name will resonate with many of our listeners out there, St. Joseph of Arimathea, um, is known as the individual, the rich man who provided Jesus' tomb. We'll get to that later. But Joseph of Arimathea owned a number of silver and tin mines 
in uh, the United Kingdom, particularly what we would consider now to be Ireland and Scotland. And I'm sure uh, I'm sure Ahanu is deeply aware of this because um, this was uh, this has to do with certain uh, legends about Jesus, in fact, visiting the United Kingdom. Yes, and the correlation yes. between yes. Camelot and Avalon and all of these different things. I have yes. absolutely no doubt that he went with his uncle to and and saw the and and visited the um, then fairly primitive tribal peoples that inhabited the British Isles. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, I have no doubt that he also journeyed to, uh, to India and very probably uh, interacted with the great uh, yogis and lamas of the day who were descendants of the Lemurian peoples. Mm -hmm. So I believe that Jesus uh, knew the skills of yogic meditation. I believe that he learned the healing arts so that when we talk about Jesus as a healer, I'm not disputing that people were healed, certainly not. But what I think may have also been going on was not only an ability to heal, but knowledge, knowledge of, of, uh, of the ancient uh, uh, Chinese or, or um, um, Rama uh, healing techniques. He may have known about uh, the, the uh, bacteria, about the healing power of, of, of just salt. You know, so so I think that uh, that's what we're looking at. I believe that Jesus was an educated man. I believe that all of his siblings were educated. And um, when he came back from his travels, from his mystical, from his uh, from his mystical, um, well, how shall I say, journeying and learning, he had made some decision that it was now time for him to begin this ministry, which would take the shape of the messianic legends. Right, right. So the, the question is often asked about the origin of Jesus and, you know, whether he, he was descended from the royal line of David or whether he actually mm -hmm. came from the stars or whether he was mm -hmm. a, a, a lowly being born in a... Uh, yeah, in <laughs> In Bethlehem, <laughs> you know, what what do you think is is his origin in that sense? Well, I think it's important to remember that um, that the Jews and the Egyptians, all Arabian peoples, are Semitic peoples. They all share the same origins. These religious differences are not ethnic or genetic differences, right? Um, so. But what we do, what we do find is that, um, you know, a good deal before, before Jesus came into the world, uh, the the Anunnaki did place their their, if you will, half breed um, progeny um, on not only the thrones of Sumeria, but that later translated to the thrones of Egypt. So they did their best that they could to to leave an element of control. And um, now there, there, is some, there is some speculation uh, that Jesus, of course, being descended from the house of David, was actually a descendant of Ramses II through Moses. Mm -hmm. This yes. idea of Moses being discovered in the bulrushes by Pharaoh's daughter sounds like an old story to me. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like, you know, I, I don't believe it for one second. And, and why then was 
was um, uh, was Moses raised in the house of the Pharaoh as a prince. Yeah, it was to hide so, the bloodline. So we have a lot of issues there. But I have no doubt that, that Jesus was carrying some, in his physical body, aside from his enlightened spirit, he was carrying some uh, very uh, sophisticated DNA. Yeah. Um, as was as was Mary of Magdalene, who was descended from the house of Benjamin. She was a princess in her own right. right. So you had the two of these uh, two of these enlightened beings that came together, maybe even possibly as twin souls. Right. Because they had a partnership. She was his designated um, uh, disciple to give the esoteric teachings to everybody else. So that was what Jesus had intended. But in answer to your question, I do believe that he was carrying um, Anunnaki DNA. I do believe that he may have had uh, special abilities either in uh, telepathy or in, in, uh, in healing, uh, but they were pretty far removed because we're talking about many centuries since the Anunnaki either withdrew or whatever exactly happened. But uh, now there's some, you know, there's often a big uh, outcry about um, why, why, you know, Jesus is often portrayed as really a sort of a blonde, blue-eyed guy. And, um, but in, in reality, and this probably won't be a very popular thing that I'm about to say, uh, the Nazarenes as people mysteriously, had fair hair and blue eyes. And this could be a game because of the Anunnaki contribution of DNA, because the Anunnaki themselves had blonde or red hair and blue or green eyes. Uh, not unlike, I think, a lot of the Pleiadians. In fact, the Anunnaki are related to the Pleiadians. So it is possible that, that Jesus was, in fact, taller, and maybe maybe he was fair, because that would have been a not uncommon look for the Nazarenes. This opens up a whole can of worms, as you said, and, and may make us all unpopular, Leslie. We're speaking with Leslie Mitchell Clark from Canada, and you're listening to Angel Rose and Ahanu as we discuss the life and times of Jesus. Now, <coughs> you mentioned there that Jesus may have descended from Ramses II, and that the Anunnaki may have placed this line of power and control into the to the king's list, the kingly lines in Sumeria, in that ancient Middle East, and into Egypt. Do you think that would also have spread around the world, like, for example, down into Africa and into the ancient kings of the Celtic world and throughout Europe? Absolutely, because the Anunnaki were, were, were everywhere. We have to remember that um, uh, in the early biblical stories, when we talk about um, even as early as, uh, as Cain and Abel, now all these names are wrong, of course, but the idea of, um, of the, the murderer being sent into exile, this is an Anunnaki story. There was a battle between two brothers, and one of the brothers was sent into what we would now refer to as Mesoamerica. And was in fact the founder of the of the even the culture that predated the Inca. So, uh, and an interesting, just an interesting side note. Uh, speaking of the mark of Cain, 
which is never explained in the Bible, which is like the like the cliff notes of what happened. But the mark of Cain, apparently, because the Anunnaki did not execute, they did not have a death penalty. Uh, but what they did is they they tinkered around with that uh, Cain figure's DNA so that he could not grow a beard because the beard was a big deal to the Anunnaki's, just as it is, ironically, to the to the Orthodox Jews and to the Muslims. Yes. So um, and so this leads us to believe that um, uh, um, the individual who was Anunnaki who was sent to to Mesoamerica. And, and founded some of these uh, very early cultures, you know that Native American peoples uh, have, the men have, a, and also Asian peoples have very great difficulty growing beards. Mm. And, and this is, in fact, the legacy of what we would refer to as the Mark of Cain. We know that into ancient, the ancient British Isles, um, one of the uh, one of the goddesses, uh, Inanna, went there and established uh, a culture and also um, a school of medical healing. Mm -hmm. So the Anunnaki were essentially everywhere. I mean, not only did they have their uh, obviously their their space vehicles, which they could use to uh, for their way stations and Mars, and also to to reach the bureau. They also had um, things like airplanes or helicopters that were used for local travel around the world. In fact, there is some speculation that the great, um, you know, the great uh, shining star that led to the place of Jesus' birth was actually a kind of a, a direction where, where the, um, uh, an evolved being was, was leading these great thinkers and magi of the day to a specific location. And, of course, Jesus may have been three or four or five years old at that time. Right. We have no way of knowing. So to, to expand out the line of thinking here, do you think then that the same lines, the same bloodlines coming down through the kings and the rulers and the power elite now forms the, the elite and the rulers and the monarchies of today? Do you think that blue bloodline is, is effectively still intact well, uh, that that is a very interesting question. I I think that um, I think that through the years, uh, part one of the one of the things that has helped to crumble uh, those European king lines is uh, is the intermarriage that went on, that went on. Now the Anunnaki could easily intermarry with. I mean, they were they were big fans of incest, as a matter of fact, because for them there was no uh, genetic consequence, right? So people regularly married their brothers, their sisters, their grandfathers. It was a kind of, and they lived huge long lives, so nobody was in decrepitude. So it was a very different way of, of thinking. Now, I think as the bloodline became more and more diluted, we had people who were placed in kingships, European and otherwise, still intermarrying with family members and we know the consequences of that mm -hmm. deformities insanity and of course the germans that are now sitting on the you know royal throne of britain yes <laughs> that's a whole other story I'm... that's another that's another date mm -hmm. leslie
Yes. Yeah. Yes, indeed. But but in answer to your question, I absolutely think that there are, uh, you know, genes like anything are eternal, and I think they can be recessive, they can be dominant. I think that um, uh, there are many people that probably walk the earth that look very much like the ancient Anunnaki or the Pleiadians. Uh, we do know that, uh, according to the work done by Zechariah Sitchin, we do know that O negative blood um, is the blood grouping from the original uh, human genome, genome after the Anunnaki got through with it. Right. And um, by, by O negative, um, I mean no, no rhesus factor. And, and the rhesus factor is a coating that coats the red blood cells. And we find it in animals. In other words, there are no animals with O negative blood. They all have this rhesus coating. So one of the legacies of the Anunnaki uh, was their copper-based, um, uh, rhesus-free um, blood sera. And, and so, you know, ironically, um, everyone in my family has O blood. Isn't that unusual? What about O positive blood? O, pos- o-, o also refers to the original blood grouping, but again, it has been uh, it has been uh, the dominant gene in that case would be our earlier Neanderthal gene, which had the Rh positive. I got you. Now, Leslie, which is not to say, which is not to say that someone with O negative blood is more evolved than someone with O positive, but it's just one of those little curiosities of uh, of genetics that some of us in this world, a very small percentage, would still be carrying that Anunnaki infusion. All right. And you mentioned that the Anunnaki were related to the Pleiadians. It's the first I've heard of that. Can you tell, oh, really? talk to us about that a little bit? Well, I, I, I probably am not the best expert to discuss this. There are people who really have, have made tremendous research in this area. But apparently the, the whole group, the whole group of those beings are, are more properly called Lyrans, L-Y-R-A-N-S. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Lyrans uh, are related genetically not, not only to the Pleiadians, but also to the Arcturians and also to the Anunnaki. They are all part of the same, uh, the same ethnic, um, I don't know, the same ethnic stream, if you will. And the Lyrans, with the Lyrans being, I believe, the original culture, and the Pleiadians being more recent than the Lyrans, and the Anunnaki being more recent than the Pleiadians. Right. That makes sense to me. Okay, so yeah. where is Jesus in all of that? Jesus, I believe, was, as, as Ohana pointed out, I believe he was carrying sacred DNA. I, be, I believe that he was um, able to appear almost luminous if he wished to. His blood may have even been copper-based to a certain extent. He may have had a bluish cast even to his skin. Uh, but there was certainly something absolutely special about him. And, you know, both of you know that, you know, from from my point of view and, and the work that I do in both past life regression and interlife regression, I believe that our entrance into this physical density is a planned event. I don't think anyone is forced to come back to the earth. I think it is planned. I think there is a purpose. And I also think that we incarnate 
freely with beings on other planets, including the Pleiadians and the Arcturians and the Anunnaki. Um, the Anunnaki believed in reincarnation. That was part of their theology. So I, I believe that um, the evolved, blessed, loving spirit of, of Jesus, as well as the many other avatars that have come through time, chose to come in, chose to come into that primitive, strife-filled world and, and try to regenerate the belief that we are love. I mean, when he said things like, no one comes to the Father but by me, that doesn't say to me that you've got to go down south and be an evangelical Christian and, you know, and, and just eat up all this literal incorrect information. That says to me that the way to ascendance, the way to get back home is to release anger, to release hate, and to live in love. Yes. Can I just mention that you are lighting up the dashboard here with callers, obviously around Christmas time, wanting clarity around Jesus and, and his role. Unfortunately, we can't take them simply because of the way we've hooked up the technology. Leslie Mitchell-Clark mm -hmm. is on a cell phone from Canada and not connected through the, the, the radio system at all. So it's, it's actually difficult for us to, to take these callers and we apologise for that. But let's... In the, in the last five or six minutes that we have, Leslie, I'd love to be able to bring this back to the Christmas time and the role of yes. Jesus in, in Christmas. And I, I know you mentioned that he may not even have been born around this time. But what I'd like to get at is the energy that people put into this time of the year. And I mean commercial oh, as well as psychic and spiritual energy. What is yes. that doing or what is its purpose? Well, I think as Anne Gail pointed to when I was hearing her speak earlier on the show, it is a time of rebirth. It's a time to reboot. It's, it's the time when ancient man saw the sun come back. Um, we uh, physiologically, spiritually, psychically, I believe we're on a kind of a, um, a, a predestined rejuvenation program when we are again absorbing a lot of photonic energy from the light. Um, this is, and, and there may be just a, a deep spiritual programming in all of the people of the world uh, to, to resonate with the, with the time period when the photonic energy starts to increase again, when our pineal gland, which is the only gland of the body that can perceive light, when the pineal gland again starts to begin to function and we are filled with all of those good uh, chemicals and hormones that, in fact, increase our psychic sensitivity and our spiritual awareness. So I think that there is a real physiological thing that happens at the winter solstice. And, and we know that the winter solstice was, was acknowledged and celebrated you know, eons before um, before it was converted by the Holy Catholic Church into into a so-called Christian event. So I think it even feels different to me. And I think no matter what your uh, no matter what your chosen expression of faith, that this particular time of year, just like Easter, 
which is another renewal. We are programmed. We are part of Gaia. We are in touch with Gaia. We are, we are spiritually and emotionally receptive to these beautiful changes. And once that photonic energy starts to come in again, we are able to open our doors to the higher vibrations much more easily. And this is what it's all about, opening our hearts and our minds to the higher vibrations that are just right here for us to swim in. Leslie, what do you think about guilt? Well, I think guilt is a useless emotion. Um, I I, I think that um, a big part of what I do as a hypnotherapist is try to try to get rid of the terrible physiological and psychological effects of guilt. Guilt is a tool that has been used to manipulate us. Yes, I agree completely. Can you give out your contact details, Leslie, for our listeners and tell everybody what you do offer? Indeed. And again, I apologize that I cannot speak to any of our, your wonderful listeners directly on this occasion, but you can always reach me by uh, emailing Leslie, that's L-E-S-L-E-Y, at lightworkhypnosis.com. That's Leslie, L-E-S-L-E-Y, at lightworkhypnosis.com. Talk to me about why, uh, when Christmas time comes around, people really do feel an increase in love. At least I do. And you do kind of move into this magical energy. And I know it's not that for everyone. I mean, there's people who dread Christmas and they they dread the commercialism and all of that. But, you know, for me, I I always perceive it as just a, a wonderful, joyous time to celebrate. And, you know, even when I go into uh, the fairy kingdoms, which is another conversation, you know, those oh, those yes. beings of the earth are, they celebrate. They celebrate yes. a lot, okay? Yes. And I don't think we take enough time as a civilization to truly celebrate life. So, you know, I always look at Christmas as, you know, really something that we should be doing all year long, but we don't because we're, we're busy and we focus elsewhere. And it's our opportunity really to celebrate each other and, and share and show the people that you love, that you care about them. And so for me, it's, it's always been a very magical time, but there is to me an actual energy and, and I know you'll get the Scrooges that, you know, basically say, ah, oh, it's gone too commercial and it's just a big holiday. Cause I know my sister, when she was alive, she actually stopped Christmas. I mean, she, she didn't celebrate it anymore because of, cause she got sour grapes about the commercialism. And the truth is, is there is a lot of that. But I mean, if you, if you look beneath the surface at what it is an opportunity for, you know, even if you, if you don't have a lot of money, even if you make somebody a Christmas card with your own fair hand, you know, or you you give them a little token that says, I love you. And, and let's face it, everybody likes to get presents. I think it's so fun to open up a gift, even if you end up not liking it. It's the idea that somebody thought enough to buy you something and then wrapped it. I mean, I don't know. What are your thoughts about that? Because I just, I really can't tolerate Scrooges. I just think, get off your bike already and celebrate life, no matter what it is. Exactly. And I think part of that is living in gratitude. Because I tell you, you know, if you've traveled the world, as I know you both have, we know that we live in incredibly 
wonderful circumstances, blessed circumstances compared to the day-to-day struggles that are, that are part and parcel of the third world existence. So I think living in gratitude, which, you know, I try to do all year round, is, is a big part of Christmas for me. But I agree with you in that there is an accelerated vibration. And you could probably, you know, uh, assign that to the law of attraction. Because the happier that we get, the more joy we spread out, the more open that we are, the more contagious it is. And it's almost like at this time of year, we allow ourselves to experience our true internal reality. That's true. We allow ourselves to do it. Some people don't allow themselves to enjoy life at all. They do not give themselves permission to enjoy life. Sad state of affairs. Yeah, it is because we got a whole lecture from Source one week about how we don't really know how to love ourselves and how important it is in terms of the quality of life on this planet. That, you know, denying yourself and judging yourself and going into all of that actually keeps us in a really lower frequency. And, you know, Source told us that love has very high standards. And it it wasn't talking about, you know, if you look good and you've got a beautiful figure or you're staying young. It was talking to us about standards of quality in terms of what you give others and what you give to yourself. And that we've been living in mediocrity consciousness for so long now that it basically saying source actually did say to us, this is the reason you find yourself in some of the situations that you're in these days is because we've all accepted such a mediocre quality of life. And, you know, I certainly think this whole purification process has to include loving ourselves more, caring for ourselves more, saying yes to ourselves more. And, you know, if you think that we are, we are each, you know, powerful creators and manifestors. You know, just undoing all of those beliefs that are contrary to the to that truth, because you really can't ever get away from the fact that everything you experience does have something to do with you on some level. You know, this whole victim thing that we project outside of ourselves is just so, so not what it's about. And actually, you know, Ahanu mentioned coming full circle in the beginning. He was talking about uh, taking back our personal power. But, you know, that is that is a way of loving yourself. And it doesn't mean that you're mean or selfish. If You know, truly loving yourself means that you are in that celebratory uh, place in your consciousness where you're grateful and you know that if you don't like something, you know, you can delve into yourself and look into it and shift it around. And certainly that's what you're doing, I'm sure, when you bring people into hypnosis and something about their patterns gets revealed and you get to help them release that because it's, you know, I just, I personally want to end this call today with saying that, you know, my experience of source uh, is that there's never any judgment. There's always more opportunities to love better and celebrate more. And I really think that that is the, the will of the creator. Couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, Angel, in the many, many, many uh, past life and interlife regressions I've done after these many years, I have never encountered a judgment scenario. When yeah. people cross over, they are met with love and acceptance. And even when they review your li- their lives, it is in an atmosphere of love and acceptance. Judgment 
all of these negative emotions are a kind of an illusion. And we need to, as you pointed out at the beginning of the show, we need to experience that metaphorical death of the old. We, we do. need to move out of that density and, and that illusion of separateness and embrace our true identity as co-creators of the universe, as blessed beings of love and light. Wow, yeah. that is an absolutely wonderful way to bring our program today to a conclusion. We've been speaking with Leslie Mitchell-Clark, who can be contacted at lightworkhypnosis.com. And her email address is leslie at lightworkhypnosis.com. We've been speaking about the life of Jesus, the traditional story versus the more esoteric story. We spoke about whether he was for real or not, whether the uh, Mary Magdalene existed, what their relationship was. We spoke about all the various dramas of and his travels to the Far East and Egypt and to Europe and the British Isles. We asked a question about whether Jesus was from the Anunnaki bloodline or from the stars. And we talked a little bit about the history and the mind control agendas that are going on and the role of the churches and how they've coerced and manipulated our beliefs. We mentioned a little bit about the Egyptian mystery schools and we spoke about the importance of this day, this time period, the winter solstice and Gaia and what you give others, how important it is at this point in time and to get out of living in mediocrity. It's been an absolutely wonderful and riveting uh, discussion here today Leslie and as I said you've lit up the boards here and uh, that's a wonderful thing but unfortunately we haven't been able to speak to them so we apologise for the technology aspect of it but people can get in touch with Leslie directly at lightworkhypnosis.com or ourselves at angelrose.com and our email address is angelrose at angelrose.com let me spell that because it's got a beautiful angelic ring to it it's A I N. <laughs> G-E-A-L-R-O-S-E dot com. Well, love and blessings to both of you. And thank you from my heart to yours for all the amazing work you do to, to help people to have more joyous, more fulfilling lives. And I wish you both the most amazing 2014. And I can't wait to have you uh, back on my show again, both of you. <laughs> Well, thank you. We'd be happy to. Thank you, Leslie, too. You have a wonderful, blessed Christmas and wish less a Merry, Merry Christmas for us as well. Would you? I absolutely will. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you, Leslie. Okay, that was Leslie Mitchell-Clark discussing the life of Jesus. And we will close now by simply giving you our very, very quick little announcements. And our group, Akashic Records, are online but not tomorrow. Tomorrow we're taking our little break for the winter solstice and the Christmas period, but usually every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific time. And you will find out details about that on worldofempowerment.com. And on the 29th, Sunday, the 29th of December, we do have a discussion all about healing. That should be really, really interesting from sources perspective through the Akashic Records. We spoke a good lot about today about the Anunnaki of Nibiru and next week we have the author of a book called The Anunnaki of Nibiru, Gerald Clark, who lives in San Diego, will be with us discussing 
the Anunnaki of Nibiru. And that should be a lovely and riveting continuation of what we've been discussing today with Leslie Mitchell Clark. If you'd like to come on the show and discuss your passion or your spiritual business, contact us at angelrose at angelrose.com. So until next Saturday at 8 a.m. Pacific time, we send you our love, our blessings, and thank you for listening to myself, Ahanu, and Angel Rose on the Honest to God series. And as we say in Ireland, Slán August Bannacht de Live Galair. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, everyone. We love you and thank you for your support. This is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire enlightened living. You're listening now to the Honest to God series with Anne Gail Rose and Ahanu.